our heart above all things. O Father, that your Son be praised and glorified, prophet, priest, and king. His completed work thrills our hearts, and if we can pull aside from the distractions of this material world that seeks to anesthetize us from this truth, we can be transformed. And would that this worship service remind us again of the great sacrifice and character of our Lord Jesus, and may we re-identify ourselves with him as Christian men and women, boys and girls. Thank you for the privilege of testifying to this truth. And I pray, Father, this is hallowed ground. This is a magnificent enterprise, your word. And I ask that you now, by your spirit, transform it. Bless the one who's to come. Bless Rodney. Honor his preparation. And may we truly be transformed because of what you've done for us through your son, the Lord Jesus. Amen. Good morning. This is going to be my first time on video, so I wondered if I can rely on my notes. You got it. I accepted Jesus as my Lord and Savior in my late 20s. My early spiritual development was largely influenced by a movement called Lay Witness. And what this was was a lay-led weekend event, renewal event, that was held in local churches. Uh, someone would be assigned to the preaching spot. Uh, so one weekend, when my wife and I were attending one of these events, we were uh, selected as the uh, people to fill the preaching spot. Uh, this was uh, quite a surprise to us. As a consequence, we hadn't prepared anything for the 20 minutes that we were slated to uh, preach in. So my wife and I uh, uh, looked out from the pulpit and saw the thousand plus people out in the congregation. And that's when I had to totally rely on the Lord. And I said, God, uh, this morning is in your hands. And I prayed to him to let me find the words to use that morning to uh, increase someone's faith. Uh, I don't know what I said that morning, but after the service, a number of people came up to us and said how much they appreciated what we had shared. Lord, uh, only you could have pulled off this morning and to you all the praise from the start when i stood before that large congregation and needed to share my testimony i knew that i couldn't do it on myself i had to rely on christ to do it You know, I've heard David's testimony there now, I think, four times. And the second time I heard it, something struck me. And that was there was a 20-minute preaching slot in that church, and I thought, how many of you are going to go to David and ask for the name of that church and, and find out you might be visiting? That may not be a good thing. You know, when you walk to this pulpit, right here on the right corner of the pulpit, there is a plaque. Whenever Stephen comes to lead us in congregational worship, whenever our pastor comes and stands, 
we see a statement as we look at you. It simply says, sir, we would see Jesus. It's a quotation from John chapter 12. You know, whenever we stand here and we look out at this congregation, there's the sense of this is a very broad, diverse group of people. You know, I would imagine that there may be somebody on this campus today, maybe perhaps even in this room, that two or three days ago they would have never dreamed they would be in worship at Park City's Baptist Church this morning, but you find yourself here. Circumstances dictated. Maybe something's happened in your life, but you're here. Would we see Jesus? There are those of you that are here because you're always here. You just love the Lord. You love God's church. And if the church doors are open, you're going to be here. And you're going to stand and you're going to hail him and you're going to crown him King of kings and Lord of lords. There are others that are here. This is your circle of friends. This is where you find community and you find relationships and friendships. And because of that, you're here and you're here on a Sunday and this is, this is what we do. There are others that are here because it's good for the kids or the grandkids. Others that are here because a spouse kind of says you're coming. And others that are here, I've been told in the past by some people, they're here because of good contacts. There's a lot of reasons that we enter into this sanctuary this morning. We've come and we've crowned him Lord of Lords. We've declared that Christ alone. But yet right now in this moment, I'm going to ask you to do something. Would you, in the depths of your heart, ask to see Jesus? Let's pray. And so, Father, we thank you for the opportunity to gather this morning, to gather as a family of faith, to declare our faith in music and to express ourselves and declare that you alone are our Lord and our God. Christ be praised. Father, we pray that you'd use these moments now to your great glory, but to the benefit of each of us in here. I pray, Father, that you would use them and use these words. And again, we ask that you would do this to our personal benefit, but your great glory. In Christ Jesus, we pray. Amen. You know, when I was 18 years old, I, I met Jesus. I've never shared my story from the pulpit of this church before, but... I met Christ. Now, for those of you that know me, you're, you're going to identify with this. I, I'm not the most exciting guy. I was duller at 18 than I am now. I don't have a great dramatic testimony. It's not there. But I have a testimony that I met Jesus Christ. It began as I came through high school, and I kind of just sailed through high school. It wasn't any real issue, and I got to the point of going to college, and I had no idea what I was going to do. None. I looked at friends who seemed to have their futures all plotted out. They knew where they were going. They knew what they were going to be doing, and I didn't have that sense. And I began to ask questions. And I think if I'm honest with myself, I was restless. I just didn't know. And the more questions I asked, the more I was drawn to the gospel of Jesus Christ. It was Christ. And I made my profession of faith in Him. And my life has never been the same again. You know, as I thought about it, as I was preparing over the last week, I was from a church family. I was from a different denominational tradition than Baptist, but 
but I was churched. I, I went. I went to Sunday school somewhat, especially as a younger child. I remember liking it. If there was a vacation Bible school in the vicinity, my mother was going to have my brother and I in VBS. I, I'm not sure it was so much about the Bible and just so much about she got some time off during the summer, but we were there, and I always enjoyed it. The Presbyterians really had a good one. I, I, I enjoyed it. I liked it. We went to worship. I was confirmed at age 12, and, and really about age 12 is when all of a sudden this sense within me that there was something that was missing. I never could put my hand upon it, but it was there. And so across that summer, I really asked a lot of questions. I asked a lot of questions. And as I began college, I placed my faith and trust in Jesus. You know, I went out and I bought a Bible. I found this Bible. I keep it in my office. I hadn't opened it probably in a number of years. I noticed that it's dated. I'm not going to tell you the date. It's none of your business, but it's a very long time ago. I went through it hoping I'd taken a lot of notes. I wanted to see what I was thinking because what I would do when I should have been studying for college algebra, I was actually at night, I was reading this Bible. I was devouring what Scripture said about who Jesus is and what Jesus had done for me. This Bible was a paraphrase. It's the Living Bible. I showed this in the Great Hall earlier, and a couple of people raised their hand that they had the very same Bible. Paid $5.95 for it. Well, the way is what it was called, and I discovered that in reading this, that the way actually was taken from John 14, 6. That's the passage where Jesus is gathered with, with his disciples. It's that last night, they're in the upper room, and Jesus looks out on their faces. The week is not gone the way they had thought. They've gathered to celebrate the Passover. Jesus has ascribed new meaning to it. Judas is left, and he's left with the rest. And he sees on their face confusion, maybe some fear. They had been greeted on Sunday with a parade, but here it is on Thursday, and they were fearing for their lives. And he looked at them, and I believe with just great compassion, he said these words. Let not your heart be troubled. You know, I've used those words at a lot of memorial services. I did one just a few weeks ago, and this was the text that I used. Let not your heart be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. And in my Father's house are many rooms, and if it were not so, I wouldn't have told you. And if I go there to prepare a place for you, I'll come again and receive you unto myself, that where I am, there you may be also. Let those words just kind of settle in this room for a moment. Let not your heart be troubled. Well, suddenly Thomas, we call him Doubting Thomas. I really think of him as Pragmatic Thomas. He just asked what everybody else was thinking. And so he goes, uh, excuse me, but we don't know where you're going, and therefore we don't know how to get there. And Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man comes unto the Father except through me. And I understood that. And I placed my faith and trust in Jesus. You know, I found a couple of quotations that I'd clipped a while ago that I thought were appropriate here. One was from C.S. Lewis. If I find in myself a desire which no experience in this world can satisfy, the most probable explanation is that I was made for another world. But the other one really describes where I was by Augustine. You made us for yourself, and our hearts are restless until they rest in you. And my friends, I was restless, and I found my rest in the person 
of Jesus Christ. The person of Jesus Christ. So if you have your Bibles, I want you to turn to Colossians chapter 1. Earlier in the service, we have an antiphonal reading of this. I'm not going to read it again. We're going to break it down into pieces. But I want you to take just a few moments. And as we do, over the last number of weeks, our pastor has been helping us celebrate the 500th year of the Reformation. Coming up October 31st, that is the 500th year when Luther nailed the 95 Theses to the church door in Wittenberg. And we've talked about Scripture and how we find in Scripture God has revealed Himself and it's the foundation of our theology. We've studied that the Reformers believed and taught that it was God's sovereign grace alone, through faith alone, grounded in and through Christ alone. And so today we come to the fourth sola, solas Christus, Christ alone. We sang that a few moments ago, Christ alone. So if you have Colossians 1, what I'd like you to do is look with me in verse 15. Verse 15. Paul writes, He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. Now what Paul is doing is here is he's beginning to weave a doctrinal framework of the supremacy of Christ. That Christ is supreme. He's over all. And what has happened, what's transpired to uh, cause this letter to be written is that Paul, who has been imprisoned in Rome, probably about 60 AD, receives Epaphras, who's the pastor of the church at Colossae, and he brings word of what's happening within the church and also word of a teaching that is beginning to make its way in the church. And that teaching diminished the person of Christ. It diminished the cross of Christ. It depreciated Christ. And so Paul takes his pen to parchment and he writes this letter to the church at Colossae, the book of Colossians. And in the book of Colossians, he tells us much of what we know about the supremacy of Christ. Right here in verse 15, he says that Christ is the image of the invisible God. He's the firstborn of all creation. Now, in ancient times, what a ruler would do is they would have a, a ring or a seal that would be cast, and it would have their image. It would be a symbol of their authority. They might have a little stamp that bore their image, and that when something was delivered, you would see the image and know that it had the authority of the ruler, the authority of the crown. It's much like if you go to the United Kingdom today and you use their coinage, what you'll see is the image of the queen. It communicates the authority of the crown. And what Paul is saying right here is that Christ is the divine representation of the invisible God. Have you ever asked, I want to know God. I want to know God. Paul would say, then look to Jesus. Look to Jesus. The writer of Hebrews in Hebrews 1.3 says this, The sun is the radiance of God's glory and the exact representation of his being. Again, if you want to know God, know Jesus. He sustains all things by his powerful world. And so we see in Christ, so we see in the cross of Christ, we see the love of God demonstrated to us. You know, we worship this morning in a beautiful facility. We've been led by magnificent music. We have programs for all generations, ministries for most needs. But my friends, if the central story and message is not Christ, then we are not the church of God. He's our message. He is our hope. He's our power. That's Christ. 
And so if you take notes, the first note is this. Christ is the revealer. He reveals the love of God for us. Secondly, Christ is the creator. Look with me in verses 16 and 17. For by him all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authority. All things were created through him and for him. And he is before all things, and in him all things hold together. Now, if you would, give me just a little bit of license. I believe that Paul penned this letter. Epaphras took it back. He called the fellowship together, and the letter was read to them. Let's just suppose the letter was read late in the day or in the evening, and they walked out of their gathering, and what do they see? They look up to the skies, and maybe it's a clear night. And in skies that aren't clouded by the lightning that we have in our day, they see the beauty and the majesty of God's glory. They see the stars that God himself has just cast across the skies, the beautiful Milky Way. And I can imagine in some of their minds, ringing were the words of Paul, it is for by him all things were created on earth, invisible and visible. All things were created through him and for him, and he is before all things, and in him all things hold together. The key to that is through him. Christ is the creator. He's the creator. This past Tuesday, I was coming into the office very early. The sun was beginning to rise, and I noticed the skies were just the most beautiful shades of pink. Did anybody see that? It was gorgeous. There were just light clouds across the sky, and they were blues. And just without even realizing, escaping from my voice was, Lord, thank you. Why? Because the creation points to the creator. The creation points to the creator. Now, Paul says here he holds all things together. Now, think about that for a moment. Let your mind kind of settle around that thought. That would mean that a universe that astronomers would tell you cannot be measured, that the stars and the galaxies and the solar systems that are beyond our count, that not only did he create, that he holds all things together, all things together. You know, as I was studying for this, I saw an article, and it talked about the moon was the perfect size to support life on Earth. Well, that's interesting. I don't think about the moon in that regard. And so I read the article, and it was talking about if the moon had been larger, if it had been created larger, that it would have affected the axis of the Earth by its gravitational pull, thereby exposing half the Earth to unbearable heat while the other half was in a deep freeze, and life wouldn't exist. And it is Christ that created it. If you're in the medical sciences, if you're in the sciences at all, how can you not look at the creation and realize it points to a creator? That the one who breathed the life of man set the moon in the heavens at just the right size and place to support the life that is within us. He's our creator. And he holds all things together. He holds all things, not just some things all things. Scripture promises that all things work together for good. But remember the second part of that, to those that love the Lord and are called according to his purpose. We might say to those that are following Jesus every day. Following Jesus every day. He holds all things. But what about your things? What about your things? This morning, I checked my emails just to make sure nothing had changed on the services today, and I had an email from someone that had the diagnosis this week. 
I'd talked to several people in the last couple of weeks that had had medical diagnoses come back that were really not what they hoped for. I've talked to some people that have some problems in life, some people who have problems within their families. So the question that I have for us today is, does he hold your things? Do you allow him into your life to take hold of that which seems insurmountable to you to hold them? You know, years ago, there was a pastor. He was actually the founding director of the Georgia Baptist Foundation. His name was Dr. Harry Smith. And Dr. Smith took me under his wing. And I was taking him home one day, and he said, You know, Rodney, I, w- I want to preach one more sermon. I said, Well, what would it be, Dr. Smith? And he said, The gentleman Jesus, because he always knocks. He never forces himself. Just in the quiet of this moment, what has been keeping you awake? What is troubling you? Because when someone asks that question, something usually always pops in my mind. What's troubling you? He holds all things together, and he wants to hold your things. Number three, Christ is Redeemer. Look with me in verse 18. And he's the head of the body, the church. He's the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in everything he might be preeminent. For in him all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell, and through him to reconcile himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of the cross. You know, I began this message with the John 14, 6. I am the way, the truth, and the life. Now that is an exclusive statement. How many of you have ever heard our pastor say the gospel is the most inclusive exclusivity ever known? I am the way. And the heart of God is broad. And he loves us and he gave himself for us through Jesus Christ that we might experience eternity with him. His way is open to all. It's open to all races, all nationalities, all people, and all times, and all eras. He says in verse 18 that he is the head of the body, the church. He's the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in everything he might be preeminent. And for him all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell. You know, what sets this church or any church apart from any other social organization? Well, Paul says it's Christ. You know, I was up here yesterday afternoon and I was completing my preparations and I thought, What's our Constitution say about that? Now, isn't that a random thought? I know all of you have your Constitution just like I have mine, so I went and got it, and I looked at it. And here's what it says. This church expresses its nature as being part of the body of Christ on earth of a local fellowship of baptized believers or disciples of Jesus Christ, acknowledging him as the head of the church relying on his atoning sacrifice for justification, depending on the Holy Spirit for sanctification, uniting in the bonds of love by our salvation and our common belief in the gospel. Now that's pretty straightforward. And Paul was straightforward. He says that it is Christ that is the head of the church. We have no message, I said a moment ago, we have no power if he is not the head of this church. He goes on to say that Christ is the firstborn from the dead. Now, I had years ago a a kid ask me, but what about Lazarus? He said, we know that Jesus raised other people. They They were resurrected. They were raised from the dead. What about them? 
Lazarus was risen from the dead in order to die again. Lazarus died again, but not Jesus. Not Jesus. You know, other religions can take you to a tomb. They can talk about why they revere their leader. We can take them to a tomb, but it's empty. It's empty. I've never seen the garden tomb. I have a great desire to go there one day. And when I do, I know I'm going to be thinking in my mind about that early morning when the disciples came and they were greeted by the angel. And the angel said, why are you seeking the living one among the dead? He's not here. He is risen. He is risen. The only thing that came out of that tomb was hope and life. And it is our hope in Christ. And Paul says because of that, he has supremacy. Look again in verse 18, the second part of it. So that in everything he might be preeminent. Solus Christus, Christ alone. Christ alone. That was the declaration of the reformers, Christ alone. But what we see in Colossians, what we saw during medieval times that they were railing against, and what we see in our day is we want to add to it. We want to add our own merit. We want to add our own achievement. We want to see what we can do to earn and better our salvation. Christ plus. Christ plus. You know, Martin Luther, it was said that his friends worried about him so much that they thought he was going to die because of all the fastings that he was doing as a young man. He purposed he was going to be perfect. He was going to bring merit to the cross. He talks about how he mortified his flesh. How he would sleep in the winter with no blankets in the middle of a German winter. He would, he would beg for his food to experience humiliation. Later he wrote, If I had kept on any longer, I should have killed myself with vigils, prayers, readings, and other work. His problem was the problem in Colossae. It was our problem today. Jesus plus never works. Only Christ. It's only Christ. He's our hope He's our hope in life, and He is our hope in death. Now, as I was thinking about this, I thought, well, then why serve? Why give? Logical conclusion to that. If He's accomplished all, if my salvation is set, if I bring nothing to the table, then why? Why did I do that? You know, years ago, before I came to Park Cities, I was a minister to preschool. I still say that is the hardest job there is in the church. If you see Marty Lewis hug his neck, it is a hard job. And in that church, I needed over 400 leaders or teachers every Sunday morning to be able to open the doors, and I didn't have them. And so I resorted to the oldest play in the game book, and that is guilt. I'm telling you, I could make some of the crusty old people in here cry by the time I finish recruiting you for preschool. I was filling my slots left and right. I was feeling good about myself until one day the Spirit of God convicted me that I was doing nothing more than manipulating people. In the Middle Ages, I would have been selling indulgences. But I had a job to do. It was for the kids. didn't matter. I was manipulating people, and I stopped. I stopped doing it. And my message became one of grace. That what greater form of grace is there to hold a child you know, we just had our first grandchild. I thought about putting a picture up, and I thought, that's tacky. So I've got hundreds on my phone right here of little Will. You'll love him. And what better expression 
for a young mom and a young dad to walk into a classroom and see a teacher holding their infant and singing, Jesus loves me, this I know, for the Bible tells me so. That's worship, my friends. That's worship. We have great needs in this church for preschool. Every church in America does. But I'm telling you, there is a great blessing and benefit to you. There's a wholeness of life that comes when you use your giftedness, your talents, in a way that manifests the glory of God. That's why we serve. You know, the happiest people I know in this church are the people who are the most active and engaged in ministry. If you don't know Terry Hurd, you ought to know her. She's in Vickery every day. One of the happiest people I've ever known in my entire life. Hear about what God is doing at Chackalow. Find out what's happening at Cornerstone. Come join the choir. Work in preschool. Serve as a greeter. Find a way to utilize your gifts in these walls or outside of these walls to the glory of God, and you'll know why give. There is something about living out the joy of your salvation. Why do we give? Why do we give? You know, behind this door right over here, this wall, we're about to open up in two weeks the Access Project. I wanted to do it before I was in my own wheelchair. This thing is taking forever. I mean, we built a $35 million building over there that's been easier than this one, but it's almost done, and you're going to love it. It's 60 years late, but it's there. And it's a declaration to this church and to this community that all people belong at Park City's Baptist Church. But we didn't borrow money for it. You funded it. You gave. You didn't give, give under compulsion. You give because of your love for God. That's the reason we give. When we talk about we have a budget catch-up, it's not to build your merit. It is to express the generosity of what God has done for us. We cannot but help but to give and to serve because of the grace extended to us in Christ. There is a wholeness of life that comes as we share out of the abundance of what God has done for us. And for some of us who find our lives just think continuing to shrink and to shrink and to shrink, take the opportunity to expand your worldview. I know there are some in here that just can't serve the way you once did. Your physical abilities and your health won't allow it. Then have the greatest pleasure of praying. Pray. You know, when I was trying to fill my preschool rooms, you know what I did? I built prayer teams. Pray. Now, Paul goes on in verses 19 and 20, and he talks about the reconciliation offered to us through Christ. For in him all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell, and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of his cross. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us, Romans 5, 8. He's our hope. Our reconciliation is through Christ. The initiative is in him. It's not us. I was restless, but it was his initiative. It was his spirit that drew me to him. And it's that that changed my eternity and changed my days and changed my life. And he offers it to us. He is our redeemer. And we are redeemed by the power of the cross. It is there that his love was expressed to us. If you want to know God, you look at Jesus on the cross. Number four, Jesus is the recreator. He's the recreator. Look in verse 21. And you who were once alienated and hostile in mind, doing evil deeds, he has now reconciled in his body of flesh by his death in order to present you holy and blameless and above reproach before him. If indeed you continue in the faith, stable and steadfast, not shifting from the hope of the gospel that you heard, which has been proclaimed in all creation under heaven, and of which I, Paul, became 
a minister. He says, you were once alienated, hostile in mind, doing evil deeds. When I was 18, I was hostile in mind. I was alienated. I was lost. My lifestyle didn't get evidence of it. It doesn't matter. I was lost, and I knew it. Verse 22 says, He has now reconciled in his body of flesh by his death in order to present you holy and blameless and above reproach in him. Paul goes on to write in Colossians chapter 2 that he set aside our sin by nailing it to the cross. Again, I bring nothing to the table. It's what God gives us through Jesus. Romans 5, 8 says, While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. He is the initiator. And because of that, I am a new creation in Jesus Christ. I'm a new creation. Stephen and Kelly sang it earlier. Jesus paid it all. All to him I owe. Sin hath left a crimson stain. He washed it white as snow. You know, this past Wednesday evening, I was in lower-level Collins for a um, committee meeting. A three-and-one-half-hour committee meeting, if you can put your, your arms around that one there. We took a very short break, and on the wall, I noticed on the whiteboard that the teacher from, I guess, Sunday had written a question. Who is Jesus? There were lots of responses under it. It made me think there was a day, there was a time when that question was asked. And so I went home and got out my Bible, and I looked it up. Mark chapter 8. Jesus is with his disciples, and he asked them a very simple question. Who do people say I am? Who do people say I am? They looked at him and said, well, some say you're John the Baptist, some say Elijah, and still others say that you're one of the prophets. But what about you, Jesus asked. Who do you say I am? And that, my friends, is the question of life and eternity. Who do you say I am? Christ alone. Let's pray together. And so, Father, as we come to the end of this service, we ask that question. Who do we say is Jesus? He's a teacher. He's a moral authority. But is he the Savior of your soul? Have you ever come to that place where you, you move from the intellectual understanding to the understanding by faith and heart? And so, Father, I pray this morning that you would use these words, that you'd use the power of your Scripture to help us understand your great love. And that when we see Jesus, we see the fullness of God, all of Jesus, all of God, and it's available to all of us. Father, I pray for those of us that find ourselves in a place of storms. Help us to understand that you hold all things together, but you want to hold our things and so, Father, as we come to this moment of invitation and prayer, we pray that you would do what only you could do in our hearts and our lives, and we pray it to your great glory. For it's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. Stephen's going to come up, and we're going to sing a hymn of invitation. If you'd like to come down and talk with me about this, I'd love to be able to talk with you about what it means to trust Jesus, what it means to be a part of a church family. Following this service out in the Narthex lobby, 
I'll be out there along with others, and we'd love to talk with you. And so if you'd like to join the church, you can come out there at that time, and we'd be glad to, to help you do that. Right now, won't you stand as Stephen comes?